I took those responsibilities on like really dramatically and I ate, slept and drank business all the time. Like that's all I did. That's all I thought about. That's all I cared about. And that's not healthy. And that's not what I wanted for myself either. And so, you know, I've had many times of like realization where it's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, you've got this business, but who cares if you're not sleeping? Who cares if you're not happy? Welcome to Patent Pending, a show about the future of disc golf. I'm Jesse from Trash Panda, and on the show today, how Tina Oakley took a hobby and built a business to create her own personal freedom. There's a book my brother introduced me to called Small Giants that explores how quietly, under the radar, a small number of businesses chose to reject the pressure of endless growth to focus on purpose and people over profit. And that phrase, small giants, makes me think of the conversations we've had so far on this show. Like Jonathan Gomez, who changed the face of media in disc golf forever. Or Matt Kruger, who created an app that solved a problem for himself and over 1 million people around the world. But when it comes to the story of small giants and the realities of being a small business owner in a niche sport, I can't think of a more fitting moniker for a brand like Whale Sacks. In 2011, Tina Oakley had a hobby, a whale pattern fabric, and a problem to solve. Fast forward to today, and Tina has gone from just a small dry bag company to building a business that prioritizes people over profit. So in today's conversation, Tina offers a real look at running a business, managing employees, weathering storms like 2020, and building something bigger than herself, all out of her passion for disc golf. But it didn't start there. As many who play disc golf would agree, it was love at first sight. But for Tina, it was ironically the opposite. Yeah, actually, the first time I played disc golf was with like a group of my college friends and we were just buying something to do on an afternoon. We have a nine hole course in my hometown of River Falls. A shout out to shout River out. Falls having a disc golf course because yeah. a lot of people's hometowns don't if they're in a small town. Yeah, so we were just like throwing some discs around and I did not like it. I was not good at it, but also no one was like, here's how to hold it and here's how to be mm. better. You know, we were just throwing yeah. it around and then we literally were done. We were tapping out on hole nine. And his name's Derek. And he like threw a driver from forever away. And it hit me in the ankle. My ankle was swollen for like three weeks from that. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so shout out to River Falls and shout out to Derek or call out, we should say. How long did it take from that moment to get you to go back out? Like, surely, I mean, there was a healing period at least, right? Yeah, for sure. I'd say it was four or five months, I think. I met a guy named Dan. He's now my ex-boyfriend, but we're still homies. And actually, Eric and I play with him when we're in Madison, him and his wife. So that's kind of fun. You know, one of our first dates was at Acorn Park in Minneapolis. And we went and played disc golf there. But he would teach me. And so I was like throwing sidearm. And he would actually say like, oh, throw it like this or try holding it like that. So I could see myself improve immediately. And then that was it. Do you remember what some of those discs were early on? Like, do you remember any of what you were throwing? A yellow sidewinder that he had like found on a course or something. 
That's a great option. I still have it. Really? <laughs> Which is incredible. Yeah. 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 I've lost it a couple of times and it keeps coming back to me. So I don't throw wow. it now because I'm on DD, but like it's kind of cool that I still have it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I'd go play by myself and with my friend Luke. I mean, I played every day after that for a long, long time. Yeah. Until probably the harsh winters in Wisconsin, which eventually led you to move away to Portland, right? Mm -hmm. And so you were banking in Portland. Worlds, I think, came to Portland. Worlds and... changed my life for sure. <laughs> yeah. Talk talk to us about that. Yeah. So I had only played casually really in Wisconsin. I moved to Portland really to get out of the weather. And then I had two friends of mine come and stay with me for Portland Worlds. And at that time, I had made a little whale sack, but it didn't look like a whale. It just had like whale fabric because I've always been into whales. And then I okay. made another one that actually like, looked like a rabbit. And it was actually my friend's idea. And he was like, well, how about you, instead of a rabbit, like turn it into a whale? I mean, that's like the tail part. And so I made a bunch of them and went and yeah. like watched worlds with him. And then well, I was still banking, remember? And so I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I'm sitting at my desk and like, thank God my boss doesn't follow me these days. But I'm like watching the FPO play the courses that are 20 minutes from me while I'm at work, just like, I want to be there. <laughs> That's For where sure. I want to be. That and the interactions I had, because I gave away a couple like my little new whales, didn't have a name yet, but you know, that yeah. whole thing. And just like the interaction, I actually met Barsby that weekend and gave him one and just like had a great interaction with him and just being able to really watch. And I was a huge Sarah Hocum fan at the time. I really like sidearm. So watching her play was like really inspiring. That was kind of when I was like, this is what I need to do. Okay. And even if it yeah. was like as an amateur, which is what I did at first, it was like, I don't want to be in banking. This is what I, I want to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can only imagine that some of the people listening to this are like either at their jobs right now or resonate deeply with yeah. the idea of sitting in a <laughs> sitting in an office space, even if it's work from home and watching live coverage these days, <laughs> yeah. right? Like all of us have oh, done yeah. it. We can all we can all say it. It's okay. But yeah, I can only imagine people resonate with that. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe before whale sacks, you had like a whale club where you were like patching up yeah, some stuff for totally some friends. Right. Uh -huh. And then jumping the gun, you also eventually developed whale pants with Eric. Is there an early memory with whales or a connection there that like made you attached to to that animal specifically? Where it actually really comes from isn't so much like an obsession with whales as it was this specific fabric that I bought with my grandma when I was really young. And so that is what the original whale sack fabric was made out of. It's like this blue fabric with a whale with a little sailor hat on. And I think there's like red, Dang. it's blue and red, right? With this whale on it. Wow. So since I had this fabric, that's what I made the first whale sack out of. Now, I was in college, so it's probably around the same time I was a sewer, a seamstress. So if people like ripped their pants or had a hole in their clothing somewhere, they'd come to me. And like the deal was I would fix it, but the patch is always going to be this fabric with a little whale in it. So then they'd it's have like, whales on it. a there hole in go. their knee and they would have this little whale poking out of the hole. And like that was just like the thing. Or like that's on so their butt, cool. you know? <laughs> so yeah, that was the original amazing. whale club. Yeah. <laughs> and it all Dang. started from this one fabric that I've had since I was really young. It sounds like maybe the attachment was more family and it, it there was some nostalgia in that. Absolutely. 
because my grandma taught me how to sew and my grandpa taught me about business and like so did my dad and you know I definitely owe a lot of where I've come from them and my grandma actually has helped me and like worked for me in, in a capacity for a long time too. We'll have to get to that. I believe she was whaler number one. Right? Yeah, she helped me sew them and then she got her neighbor on board and yeah, my grandma's amazing. So cool. So going back, coming from Wisconsin, you've got a high familiarity with humidity. And then Portland, I can only imagine it's a it's not humidity as much as just playing in the wet. It's wet in the winter. Yeah. You can't even really call it humid anymore. It's just wet yeah. all the time. <laughs> so you've you've made a few of these at this point. You you start to make a whale shape. At what point do you start selling them? And does a business start to kind of formulate in this? I have a really early memory while I was in Portland. There was like a tournament or a league or something that I was going to. And I had like made a handful to donate to that tournament. I think that was the first like business kind of step that I took. I have actually some really vivid memories of those early days, like certain little pieces that to me was like a big step. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Mr. Beast, but the way he, or his YouTube channel, he's like a huge YouTuber these days. He would like take any money that he made and put it back and then take any money that he made and put it back into the next video, the next video. And that's definitely how I started. So I never really spent money on it, like technically the first couple things, but we're talking, you know, pretty cheap. Like I had fabric lying around. I had thread lying around. The only thing I had to do is like find the filler and buy the filler. And that was basically it. It sounds so authentic. I love that you said the very first business move we made was a donation. Yeah. Like, I don't think many would call that a business move <laughs> as much as a donation. Right. <laughs> I just think that's so awesome that that's that's where you started. And it was something you wanted. It was something your friends wanted. So take us through what happens next. We're in, I think this is 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. It really started to get some movement. Is that correct? Yeah, I do remember... In those early days, the first couple of years of Whale Sack's existence was anytime I'd go to a tournament, I'd walk around with this little box that I like glued fabric onto, like such a home started business <laughs> for sure. And so I'd have like my little whale sacks and this little box that I'd walk around with. And I was still pretty shy at the time and like not shy, like I was still social, but I didn't know a lot of people. So, you know, when you're like in a new yeah. place, it's hard to get comfortable. And then once you start to know a couple of people you feel like you can be yourself. That's kind of how it works for me anyways. And so I was at a tournament and this girl, Erica, now one of my best, best friends, she came up to me and was like, so are you like sponsored by them? You know, like these whale sacks I'm carrying around. I was like, no, actually it's my thing. And shortly after that, she ended up on the team and she's actually worked for me for years and years too. And been a huge part of the business as well. But I remember that being like the very beginning was very grassroots walking around yeah. tournaments trying to sling whale sacks and make enough money to play the next tournament is kind of how it went. <laughs> yeah, it was the inception for whale sacks, if I remember correctly, was actually for you to be able to play pro yes. and to pursue that dream. So Erica joins the team around 2014. And then what proceeds to happen over the next, let's say, you know, five or six years? Well, I was able to tour. Um, I played amateur tour for a while. I actually ended up going back to Portland to work for a little bit, which is a crazy story. Yeah. And then actually, so shortly after that, I had met Eric and him and I started touring together pretty quick after we met. And that was its own adventure, of course. Yeah. 
And then the business, we started doing a lot of clinics. We loved doing clinics. That's where whale pants came from. Um, we were doing local clinics, but being Eric Oakley and Tina Stenitis, like didn't ring very well, you know? And so yeah. <laughs> he was always referred to as putter pants and I was the whale sacks girl. So, uh, whale pants ended up being our tour name for that. So we were driving all over the country and before or after every tournament, we'd set up and do a clinic or run doubles or, I mean, we hustled, like we were selling discs and whale sacks as often as we possibly could, but we wouldn't have made it if we didn't. I'm really thankful for that time. When are you making the whale sacks at this point? I worked nonstop. I don't know. I was not very fun. I don't think like I had fun when I played, but damn did I work a lot and I would turn down a lot of stuff to go work. And like, there were many days where I'd pull 12 hour days to just get caught up or try to be caught up. Yeah. But basically since the day we started, we have never, ever been able to catch up until this year because wow. it slowed down a lot. But seven years never being able to keep up. Yeah. So it's been kind of crazy. At that point, are you waking up early? Are you doing all-nighters? Like, what's your routine for making whale sacks? I'm a morning person, and Eric is a night person. So I would need, like, a couple hours of quiet in the morning to be able to get my work done. <laughs> So he sleeps in, we're golden. And keep in mind, we lived in like a 23 foot RV. So me For getting sure. up is literally walking like five steps away and then working there. But yeah. <laughs> that's the only quiet time I really have. And those years were probably the hardest because we were touring, we were traveling, we were playing and I was running a business. And like when it comes to being in an RV and I'm doing a lot of physical like sewing and like computer work. So if you're picking up the RV to drive to the course and then driving it back and like I'm setting up and I'm breaking down like three times a day to get where we need to go or whatever. The house is also our car. I remember many times, you know, Eric's practicing and I'm in the parking lot with the generator on and trying to, <laughs> trying to so keep up. So as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were years of that. It was exhausting. I think like had that not been the way that I did tour, I think I could have stayed out a lot longer, but it just wore me out. I mean, it sounds exhausting, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I'm exhausted just listening to it. Like we mentioned, it was it was a good problem to have to some extent in, in the sense that the business yeah. was booming. And then, I mean, maybe we're jumping a little bit of the story here, but then 2020. What, what happened with Whale Sacks in 2020? So 2020... By like late March or May, I think we started seeing like this big spike in interest. Our friend Zach is very technologically advanced and he set Eric up with Twitch so that because he plays video games. And so he was like doing this Twitch thing and then he set up a discord for us. And one day I finally got involved with that. And now we have this amazing community and we started doing like our morning coffee on Tuesday on YouTube. and. Like that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. So I'm like super thankful. We have all these friends that like we play Rocket League together all the time. We do Secret Santa together. We like we have this really close knit group of friends. And now when we're all over the country, like we meet up with them wherever they are. They come stay with us or we stay with them or whatever. It's just like a really cool thing that we wouldn't have had without that. But then that's how we were going to make money. At the same moment, like some of the pros who were on tour started making YouTube videos. The media started to take off. We were all at home. And then what happened with sales? Yeah, so like it was kind of slow on the front end. But then once it did pick up, it was crazy. 
So we hired, everyone works on contract because they all work from home, their own hours, whatever they want to do. It's really flexible. So we picked up a bunch of people that year. These are your whalers? My whalers, I call them Do you want to, yeah, can you explain what whalers are? <laughs> sure. So we have quite the big crew now and we need to, which is cool because it really just used to be me, my grandma, my mom, you know, like just a couple people. <laughs> and so now a whaler is someone that lives anywhere in the United States, basically, that makes whale sacks for us. So we literally like send them the pieces that are cut already. They put them all together and either send them back to us or send them directly to the customer, depending on what the order looks like. I think at one point we had like 15 or so. And this year we've cut back quite a bit. <laughs> Even with having as many as we did the last two years still, so 2020 and 2021, we had to like shut down our custom and wholesale in the middle of summer because we just, we could not keep our website stocked. So we couldn't like be sending out wholesale either. You know, it was a crazy time. So when I was doing my research, I, I found a quote and I'd love for you to just kind of expand on this for a second. You said 2020 was a low point and I probably would have sold the business. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're laughing now, but can you take us there? Yeah. So part of the reason that whale sex exists at all was to give me my freedom. And instead it turned into this giant ball of stress. And I never imagined it to be as big as it was in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. And so like, that's a big part of it. And I am someone that struggled with anxiety at that time, a lot of depression as well. So just being someone that isn't able to just like let things roll off my back, like some, some people can, I took those responsibilities on like, really dramatically and I ate, slept and drank business all the time. Like that's all I did. That's all I thought about. That's all I cared about. And that's not healthy. And that's not what I wanted for myself either. And so, you know, I've had many times of like realization where it's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, you've got this business, but who cares if you're not sleeping? Who cares if you're not happy? Yeah. Who cares if you're not doing like any of the things that actually fulfill you? Like, if I'm traveling to places that I love and I don't even go outside because I'm working the whole time, then who cares? Like this business is not worth it if that's what your life looks like. When I think of most of us who are in disc golf and on the business side of disc golf, it started with a passion. Yeah. So if that passion is flickering out mm -hmm. and that excitement isn't there anymore and that freedom isn't there, then it's only bound to get, get so hard. As we now know, jumping ahead you're still here. <laughs> you're, you're smiling. Yes. <laughs> what, what changed? A couple things. If I'm being honest, a girl named Steph, she is kind of the new me. She does all of the stuff that is hard for me to do or that I don't want to do, or that takes a lot of organizing and takes some urgency and kind of like really slowly. She started as a whaler. And she took on a couple like design projects and then she yeah. took on a couple more things. And I kept saying like, how much do you want to be involved in this? Yeah. And then I'd add something else. And then like, do you want more to do? And then she'd add something else, you know? So, I mean, her title on the website, I'm pretty sure is director of everything. So yeah. that's a pretty big task. <laughs> do you like that? It's not very professional, but what do I care? <laughs> I was like, when I read it, I was like, I'm so excited to hear what this means. Yeah, so, she yeah. literally does everything. It was really just having 
those people in place and trusting that they know what they're doing and letting go of the things that I don't need to control anymore. And it's really hard starting as like the only person that knows everything. But then we started to make a couple processes and procedures. And like now, you know, if that falls through, it can go to somebody else because there's actually like, we just like streamlined a lot of stuff. And I did a little business coaching too. She helped me come up with like the structure for our whalers because there's there's a contract and it's very organized and detailed and it had to be. It couldn't just be make whatever you want, whenever you want, and then send it like that didn't work. And like I had some training there. So getting that working without having my hands on it, that kind of stuff. It sounds like that transition was like from from doing it alone to really allowing a team to Yes. Be there and support. Let's like say what it is. This is seven years of your life. This mm-hmm. is in many ways your baby. This is the thing you've woken up at 430 for. This mm-hmm. is the thing you've stayed up late for and you're not a night person. Like at the end of the day, was it difficult to to let go of the reins on that to some extent? I think in the earlier years, like I had added people that like didn't work out and didn't work out. And like a few of those instances can really like deter you from wanting to try again and for me when that kind of stuff happens it takes me months to get back on the bandwagon to like try again because it takes a lot of your energy and trust and all this stuff so i would say like in the earlier years before 2020 it was really difficult to add anyone to the team because i was at such a low point in 2020 that mentality had changed because i kind of accepted the fact that either someone else is going to run this or i'm selling it and that's going to that's gonna take away from everything that I've worked for. No one's going to run it like I do. No one's going to care about their employees like I do. No one's going to keep production handmade and small in America by people that need to work at home. You know, like those things that were important to me, the second anyone gets this, they're going to outsource and they're going to undo all of the really important stuff that I've worked really hard to put into place, if that makes sense. And of course. like they have every reason to, right? Like everybody that does business is just trying to make money. Well, I am not here for that. <laughs> That's not my goal. My goal yeah. is to take care of people, you know, and have morals in my business. We're talking about the founder whose first business move was a donation. So I think we <laughs> knew that from the beginning. So Tina developed a team and a mission that would ultimately help her weather any storm in the future. On the other side of the break, Tina and I take a deep dive into the realities of being an entrepreneur, her words to anyone interested in starting something, and how not being a shithead might be the best business advice she can offer. Really quickly, many of you who have been enjoying the show have also been asking for ways to support and rep patent pending as well. So we just dropped some new tees over at jomezpro.com. With a classic yet simple patent style design that shouts, please talk to me about disc golf, the patent pending tee is a conversation starter to say the least. Plus, since we're all about investing in the future, each shirt is super soft, durable, and made with six and a half recycled water bottles per tee. So if you've been enjoying the show and want to support or even just rep patent pending, then head over to jomezpro.com or click the link in the show notes. Seriously, it helps a ton and we can't thank you enough. This episode of Patent Pending is also made possible by Paragon Disc Golf. If you've watched Jomez's coverage, then you've definitely seen Paragon's work, whether you realize it or not. From feather flags and tea signs to shirts, polos, and hats to tags for your local club, 
Paragon Prince Disc Golf. So if you're a retailer or a local club gearing up for the 2023 season, then Paragon is ready and willing to partner with you to shape the future of disc golf. You can visit paragondiscgolf.com or simply click the link in the show notes. Welcome back to the show. So it's 2022 and Tina Oakley is officially running a small giant called Whale Sacks, but the problems haven't just disappeared. Tina is not one to sugarcoat things, and in what you're about to hear, she's real and honest, yet somehow smiling the whole time. So whether you're someone who wants to turn a hobby into a business, or someone who's weathering storms of your own right now, or even just someone who wants to know the stories behind the brands you support, then this next part is for you. In the past, she's called Whale Sacks, quote, just a little dry bag company. And I had to know, does it still feel like that? I think if you would have asked me that last year, I probably would have answered differently. This year has been a really big struggle. And so now I'm starting to feel like a little dry bag company again, <laughs> you know, and I think that's happening across disc golf. I don't think it's just us. Um, I've talked to a couple of people with shops and, you know, there's a reason we have less sales because they have less sales. So we're not going to have as much wholesale if they're not having as much customers in their stores either. And so um, I don't think it's just us, but I think it helped when I went to Europe this year. We spent a week in Norway, Finland, and then I went over to the UK for two weeks. And that kind of like international acknowledgement was really cool. And even just being over there and talking to a couple of people, they're like, yeah, I have a friend in Germany that really wants them in their store. And then, I mean, we got a ton of orders from a bunch of countries while I was over there just because I was so out cool. chit-chatting and they got to, you know, meet Eric and I or whatever that was. or And like, that really did make a difference. But then it also like made me aware of I don't know, just how international we are, actually. And I think if people could really see inside the business and see what it really looks like, I think you could see it more from my perspective because we are small. I have whale sacks in Eric's office over there and in my shed and at Steph's house. Like, that's our inventory. Our warehouse is in my house, <laughs> you know, and they're like, you know, they're organized. I'm not saying it's a mess, but I'm just saying, like, we don't have a warehouse. You know, our stock room is... Steph's craft room and we all work from home. Everybody that's in the job works from home. So to me, that doesn't feel like this massive company. So knowing what you know now, being here today, thinking about your 2014 self, yourself when you hired someone and it didn't work out and you were kind of in the dumps with it, trying to get over that, what, what would you tell that person? Not to try to do everything myself and to like trust that process like right away to have help. Like, I think if I had a partner when I started, that that would have made like a tremendous difference for me. And just the, just the stress alone, because Eric isn't even a part of the business. Like he's on the team, but I mean, he doesn't do anything with it and never has other than just being a team member that like helps with sales. And he subleases his, his office space to Wales X, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would have literally changed my whole life. Just sharing that stress with someone or having someone to talk to that cares a little bit like I do, that can relate to like, okay, this is important and we need to problem solve this thing. Because I think that's a big part of why I didn't sleep or like just why I was stressed out all the time is it was just me trying to figure out solutions in my own head all the time. And it literally only affects 
like me and my business. And that's like really hard. Not to say that Eric isn't a sounding board. I didn't mean to like, but he is so far removed from it. It's not his yeah. thing whatsoever. Like owning a business is not his jam. But you know, when it's such a big responsibility, and especially now, that was a big part too. Like all these people rely on me now, like to keep the business going and you know, to make their paychecks. And so that was a big responsibility and a big part of why it was hard to pick up people to help. But I also think that just having that little bit of input would have made a world of a difference. So if you had a platform to speak to anyone who had an idea for a product, for you, you've said it wasn't a business plan, it was a hobby. So they have something they just want to get into. Maybe it could be a business. Maybe it's maybe it's just something for them and their friends in their local club. But if if you just had the platform to speak to anyone who had an idea for maybe a product that might move disc golf forward, what would you say? I would say that anyone can do it. Anyone can make it. I truly believe that. But I think you need to be willing to work hard, like really hard, especially on the upfront. And you need to have faith in it. And and believe in it and push it. I think that if you are a good person, <laughs> you have good work, work ethic and are able to make a good impression on the people around you, whether that's on social media or actually in person, that when people like you, they're willing to buy into what you're doing. And if your thing really represents who you are, that's like even better. Like Eric and I very much try to not be to not be shitheads you know like we we try to like be kind and we try to take care of people and you know give back whenever we can and i think that if your heart is in the right place and i think that really resonates with people and that if you just have a logo you want to put on stuff and that's your brand that people will get behind that if you're out there enough and if you're likable and if it, if you want it to grow you gotta work really hard <laughs> Yeah, There's yeah. That part. It sounds like for you, running a successful business and being a good human just go. Yeah, they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and then like I guess that's what's frustrating because you can go about it that way, right? But then there are these huge companies where they're run by terrible people, or they're like they have terrible business morals, and they still do well because they're cutting every corner they can. And I hate that exists because it shouldn't. But and I think that has forced, especially in America, that like. You can't get by unless you like screw the little guy. But I completely disagree with that. I think that the more you show that you care about people, especially like since the pandemic and since people have been struggling more than ever, like it's so much more important to like support everybody. One of the things I think people think about when they think about starting a disc golf business is like, how quickly can I have a sponsored pro? Right. Like that's (laughs) that's the moment that's the moment you make it. And yeah. we haven't talked too much about pros. I know you've said Zoe and Ike and Paige Pierce were crucial early on. Absolutely. But as far as, I mean, I think I've got two questions here. On one hand, it's, you know, how crucial is is professional disc golf and tour, our touring pros to small businesses? And then what are what do you see small businesses' roles as in supporting touring pros? Those are big questions. I think for... For me, anyways, I think having the pros that I did early on was a huge part of our success. I think I had a really unique situation, I will say, because I was on tour. So the people that are on tour are my friends. And same thing, generally speaking, I'm not a shithead. So like, I'm friends with these people. 
and they also see an opportunity to help me out and I can help them out. And they're For like, sure. yeah, I'll rep those. Eagle actually comes to mind. Like he was using, he was fine with whatever he was using, but I mean, he wanted to be on the whale sex team because he knew that would help Eric and I, yeah, you know, that's cool. And, I mean, he's a tremendous player and he's a great brand representative and he's not a shithead. So it's like, it just works out really well. And I think our whole team is just stacked with incredible people that people like. And that's been something that's been really important to us too, is having people that are likable and that treat people with respect. And, you know, we don't pick up anybody that, that crosses that line. It really sticks with our own branding, uh, if that makes sense. But I don't think we would have grown like we did without that. But I also think that wouldn't have happened without also being on tour. What about for the, like, as far as small businesses just supporting the growth of disc golf in general? What what do you find your role to be? Do you feel some level of responsibility to the sport as a whole? I think that I do. I just don't know how influential that actually is. I think the way that my business is set up and the things that I'm proud of isn't like super common knowledge, if that makes sense. Like we have custom run whale sacks on our website and 100% of the profits of those go to the player. Wow. 100% of it. We have signature whale sacks also, and they get like, I think $5 a whale on those, but it's just kind of crazy. Like manufacturers don't do that. Yeah. They could way easier than I can, way easier than I can. But they don't. Um, and so we've changed a lot of things about how how we do business to be more player friendly, to be more supportive in that regard. Looking into the future, though, what what excites you about the future of disc golf? I think that we're starting to reach like so many more demographics. I think the media side of disc golf is just I mean, they're just blowing it out of the water. There's like so much entertainment um, like on YouTube and and just you know, the disc golf network and everything. There's so much disc golf to watch and it's a lot more accessible, I think, than it used to be. And not just practice rounds or tournament rounds or whatever. Like there's so much more content out there that people yeah. are able to relate to people and go like, oh, you're just a normal person. And, and I'm hoping that that kind of stuff can kind of help. Like the hate of the internet is so hard for me to like see. And I think that the more people are able to relate with other people, the less hate there is. So having more accessible media like that, where people get to actually see their personalities and like who they are, I think is, it's good for disc golf. Yeah. That connection, like you feel more connected to people. That's Tina Oakley, the founder of Whale Sacks. As of this recording, her little handmade dry bags shaped like whales can be found all around the world. And now that she isn't sewing around the clock in her RV, you can find Tina streaming on Twitch with her partner Eric and her friends, exploring her passion for gardening or playing with spreadsheets. Yep, you heard that right. She loves spreadsheets. Based on the fact that you've owned multiple businesses and you've worked in the context of small businesses for a while, I'm sure you're familiar and had to put together so many different like pitch decks or even just elevator pitches. So if you had to give an elevator pitch for Excel spreadsheets to people who are not sold on spreadsheets, because I, I believe like your grandpa instilled that in you and you said you have everything in Excel spreadsheets. Where did you find all this information? We have a hefty research department. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. All that to say, if you had to do an elevator pitch for Excel spreadsheets and the floor is yours, what would you say? 
Okay, well, if you're bad at quick math, spreadsheets are your friend. Boom. And if you're bad at being organized, spreadsheets are your friend. Wow. Um, I'm a huge spreadsheet fan. <laughs> I used to have a mug that said I love spreadsheets. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Patent Pending is presented by Jomez Pro and made possible by the Jomez Pro Patreon community. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Patent Pending Show. And if you want to contact the team, our email address is patentpendingshow at jomezpro.com. This episode was produced by Andy Padula with music composed by Starframe. I'm Jesse from Trash Panda, and you've been listening to Patent Pending.